We've been looking together at what Jesus said, his command to us to go and make disciples. And we've been thinking about uh, that it was his DNA that did that. He, it was in the whole of his ministry was all about preparing disciples to go and be disciples. And Jesus does the same for you and me through the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit comes in us to us to prepare us or grow us as disciples. That's why we have the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. But also to go and be disciples to others. And we've been learning what that really means Jesus says, as you're going, or having gone, disciple nations. That's really what that, go, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Having gone, disciple the nations. In other words, disciple everybody that you meet, regardless of their background and culture or anything else, disciple them. And we've been looking together, well, what does that mean? What does it really mean to be a disciple? And so we've been looking at this passage from Acts chapter 2. And it says, they devoted themselves. This comes straight after Pentecost. The Spirit has come down. The church has been born. Peter's done his amazing sermon. All those people, 3,000, were added to their number that day. And then it says this. They devoted themselves, that's the, the disciples, to the apostles' teaching and the followers as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today what I want to look at with you, verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. The word says that unity is vital in our relationship with Jesus and with one another. Unity. The early church was characterized by them having everything together. They were together. They had stuff in common. They were united as one group. They hadn't yet spread out to the ends of the earth. They were there in one place together. And unity, unity is critical to the early church, and it should be to us. This whole passage is about them being together, doing things together, praising God together, worshiping together, being together. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They were together in location. They hadn't yet left, verse 44. They were there. Jesus said, go and wait for me, didn't he, in that upstairs room. Wait for the Spirit to come. Don't go back home. Don't go anywhere else. Stay where I'm telling you to stay. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. And there is a strength when we are united together in one location. Why do we come together on a Sunday? Because there's a great strength in us being together, right? You can worship at home on your own. I do that. Right? This morning when I was having a shower, I had my, uh, my little player on in the, in, the, in the bathroom and I was singing away, you know, and uh, slightly under the level of the shower noise, of course, so that nobody else could hear me. But, you know, you're singing, you're praising God, worshiping. You can do that on your own. You can pray on your own. You can read your Bible on your own. hope you do. But there is a strength when we get together and do it collectively, isn't there? It's different. 
That's why we make the effort to get up, and some of us it's more effort than others to get out of bed on a Sunday morning and, and come to church, right? Because there is a strength in the location, and, and that's true for the disciples. They also were united in their resources. It says they kind of pulled everything, even though they had resources, but if they had needs amongst themselves, they met those needs, right? They suddenly said, you know what? I see, I see uh, Brother Philip over here, and, and he needs this. And I've got enough so I can, I can help him out. We can do this together. And they, they, they sold things and they, they got things together and they shared together because there was that unity of resources. There was a unity of heart as well. They were there together, but they were praising God together. They were worshiping God together. There was a, a oneness in their hearts and there was a unity of focus they were there to be disciples. Every day they went out and discipled. They went to the temple courts. Every day they broke bread in people's houses. There was a unity of what they were about. And they all went and did the same thing. They all went out together to help one another. That early church was characterized by a real strength in unity. But the question I want to ask is why, why is unity so vital? today why is it so important well let's look together at Jesus's prayer Jesus before he died in John 17 prayed and first of all he prayed for himself he said Lord father help me right I'm gonna I'm just about to go through the cross and everything that that means help me strengthen me then he prayed for his immediate disciples, and he said, Lord, thank you for them, right? Not one of them has been lost except the one that was due to be lost, but strengthen them. And then in John 17, verse 20, he prays this, my prayer is not for them alone, that's the disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. So Jesus prays for all of us. He's thinking in the future of all the believers that are going to come after him. Now, what do you think Jesus would pray for? Just think for a moment. Here you have the Son of God, and he has an opportunity, and as we have recorded, a prayer that he's going to pray for all those after him. Now, if it would be me, I'd be praying, Lord, flood them with the Holy Spirit. So that they're just going to be completely, unbelievably got the power of the Spirit within them. They can move mountains. That's what we need in the world, right? If the church could really be the church so that actually it could say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea. If they really believe that, man, what a difference it would make. Lord, Father, just give them that. Or Father, give them forgiveness, right? They need to know forgiveness. How many of you struggle with forgiveness? Right? Lord, just, just please let them know forgiveness. Oh, Lord, how many of you struggle with self-esteem? Don't put your hands up. But Lord, let them know my love like, like they will never, ever know. Like the world can't know. Let them know the depth of my love so they'll never have any esteem issues. They'll know who, who they are. They'll, they'll believe it and they'll know it and they'll experience it. Lord, just give them that. I mean, there's so many things Jesus could have prayed for, but you know what he prayed for? You do know, because we're talking about it today. He prayed for one thing, unity. 
out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, Jesus said this, I pray also that those who will believe in the message through, through their, sorry, believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Powerful words. Let's look at these together and just pause for a moment over that passage. Why? Why is it so vital? Why is unity so vital? Why was it the thing that Jesus prayed for? Well, firstly, it's because it imitates the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus wanted us to imitate who it is to be God. Now, the, the Godhead, right? The Trinity. It's self-contained. It's relational, isn't it? And we don't really understand it. We can't really explain it in all its fullness but we know it to be a reality. There's many, many things like that, right? So many things that I know are realities, but I can't explain them. And the Trinity, you can, you can get so far with the Trinity, but always because it's, it's about God and the Godhead. And so any, any words and analogies that we try and use to explain it, kind of, they get, get you so far. But you know it's true. That God is three in one. Father, Son, and Spirit. And there is a unity of relationships. There is a unity of purpose. There is a unity of everything within the Godhead. And God wants us to imitate the kind of unity that we see there. Think about in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were formed through one man. Who was he? Okay, you with me? In the Old Testament, who was the father of the people of Israel? Abraham. Good. And God came to Abraham and he gave him what we call the Abrahamic covenant. Where do you find that? Genesis chapter 12. Okay, repeated in 17. But Genesis 12, 1 to 3, right? In Genesis 12, he said, seven I will. God said, I'm going to do this for you seven times, right? I will bless you. I'll make you a blessing. But he basically said, whoever you bless, I will bless. He said, you're going to be the father of this nation. And what's the, what's the nation all about? The nation is there to point people to God, right? That's why Israel came. 
Every, everybody should be looking at the people of Israel and going, why are they so blessed? Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the cursings, right? You follow me, God said, this is what I'm going to do. You follow me, I'm going to give you rain when you need rain. I'm going to give you sunshine when you need sunshine. I'm going to protect you from all your enemies. Your, your, your crops will be better than anybody else's crops. Your cattle will be better than anybody else's cattle. Your children will be more perfect than any other children. Oh, I don't go there, but you know what I mean. Right? He basically says, I'm going to pour my blessing into you as a people. All you need to do is follow me. Obey what I'm telling you to do, and there's going to be like untold blessing. Now, why? Because then everybody else will look at them and go, why are they so blessed? What's going on with them? And in their understanding, a blessing was due to the God being stronger, right? When, it, when a, a neighboring army would take over you, you would take over their God. Why? Because their God is obviously stronger than your God. Makes sense, kind of logically, right? So therefore, we may as well follow the stronger God. And God Almighty said, I'm gonna, you're never going to be defeated, so don't worry about it. Everything, people will come flocking. Now, what was the problem with that? Well, the problem was the people of Israel, right? They all went, yes, sign us up. And then what happened? Well, basically, sin, really. They decided to do their own thing, go their own way. And so God said, you know what? A time is coming through the book of Jeremiah 31. He said, a time is coming where I'm going to take that law all those rules, and I'm not going to make it external, I'm going to make it internal. I'm going to write it on your heart. So that you'll do it out of a motivation. And you know what? I'm going to send my son, and my son will come, and he will die on a cross to give you the forgiveness that you need. And the transformational power that you need to be able to do it because it's in your heart. Not because it's on a list of a to-do things. Let me give you an example. When you were young... And your mother said, David, go clean your room. What was that? That was an external list. It was not in my heart. I fought against it. I don't want to clean my room. I've got far better things to do than go clean my room. In fact, it's never in my heart even now, hardly. But anyway, that's a different story. But right, you know what I'm saying? It's a list. It's a thing that you've got to do, right? You know, how many of you are list makers? Right? Some people make them, some people don't. When you make the list, what do you do? You look at all the ones you fancy doing first, don't you? I'm going to do number two, number eight, number 15. Clean the shed, that's definitely off the high priority because that's a big job and horrible. Right? So you, you kind of, why? Because it's not inside of you, right? You know you've got to do it, but it's not there. That was the people of Israel so often. But Jesus said, I'm going to put it inside of you. So that it's your motivation. Have you got any, any jobs that you love doing? Anybody here love doing the ironing or the washing up? No? Some people do. Anybody love cooking? Few people. Okay. Keep your hands up if you love cooking just so that I know where to come. <laughs> All right? See, some people, cooking is a list of the, one of those jobs, right? Oh, I've got to cook again. Yeah. Other people, it's like, let me in the kitchen. I'm loving it. You see what I'm saying? Now, 
The Old Testament was the people of Israel. New Testament is who? The church. What is the role of the church? To make disciples. The role of the church is to be, Paul talks about it being the new Israel. In Romans, right? Why? Because we, people are supposed to look at the church and go, how come they get so blessed? How come there's a love there and a warmth there that I don't experience anywhere else? How come they got blessing and answers to prayer in their life like I never experience? How, how come they're different than anywhere else? That's the role of the church, right? That is who we are supposed to be. Why does it say you don't have to go knocking on doors to say, would you like to become a disciple? Because it says, and daily numbers were being added, right? Why? Because when you have a people of God that are doing what they should be doing, loving like they should be loving, being who they're supposed to be, other people will be attracted to it. We don't have to go. Jesus doesn't say go out there and make disciples. He says, having gone, disciple people because they're going to come into your sphere of influence. Somebody came up to me and said, I hope, you, I hope at the end of this series you're not going to ask us to go door to door. And I said, no, because the Bible doesn't say go door to door. What the Bible will say is, if we get this right, people in your sphere of influence, people that you meet regularly will see you and say, hey, I want some of that. What have you got? What is it that's going on in you? That's where you disciple them. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what's going on. Let me tell you about the love that I feel from other people. Let me tell you about my church family that flood the love of Christ through them into my life. Let me tell you about the blessing I have from Jesus, right? That's, that's, that's what Jesus says we should be like, and that's what you see in the early church. That's what you see in those guys. So when Jesus prays for this, why? Because when we get that together, what are we doing? We're imitating a little bit in, in some kind of way what it is to be God. We show people God through us. What did God, Jesus say? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Sums the whole thing up. Why? Because it imitates God. First thing, it imitates God. Secondly, verse 22, it says it's a path to glory. Now what's glory? Let me read, uh, let me read verse 22 first. Let me get back to Acts. Acts 2. Sorry, John, we're in John 17. He says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give them the same glory that you have given me. Now, what's glory? We sing it all the time, don't we? What is it? Anybody? How many of you ever sung about glory? Gloria. Sung it? Okay. Phil, stand up. Give this guy a round of applause if you think he's any good on the keyboard. I'm 
glad they collapsed. <laughs> that could have ruined everything. That's glory. You have just glorified Phil. In other words, you've seen something within him and said, you know what, we want to honor that. We want to esteem that. Because you're great at that, right? When you, you can glorify anybody, right? People glorify footballers all the time. Because they lift them up and say, oh, they're the best player ever, right? You can glorify anybody or anything by setting it apart like that, going, you know what, that's just awesome. That's just amazing. That's glory. And Jesus says, the glory that he receives from the Father, this is my son who I'm well pleased. That same glory he's going to give to you and me. Isn't that incredible? He's going to say, you know what? This is my child. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is my child who I love. With them, I'm so pleased. When we are united together, when we show the love of God, when we have that unity, then Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to put them on a pedestal like I did to Phil. And everybody's going to applaud and cheer and go, oh, man, they're, they're awesome. If you show that kind of unity. It doesn't say it for anything else. Thirdly, it's essential if we're going to be a good witness. So the world may believe. Why? Because what I said, right? We are to be the new Israel. We are to be the people that others look at and then go, I want some of that. Now, how many churches do you know that are generally like that? Sad, isn't it? That's that's. That's where we have to go as a people of God, right? We have to be a place that genuinely cares enough for one another, that genuinely seeks Christ with everything. We are devoted to the things he says we should be devoted to. So that others around will go, wow, there's something, there's something going on there. There's something unique happening there. I want to be part of that. I don't know what it is, but I just feel drawn into it. I want, I want that for myself. You ever been on a, like a, a team of people that have been really united together? You ever been there? It can be at work or anywhere else where there's such a unity together. There's something special about it, isn't there? Where, where those people just get on with one another and they're just focused on what they need to be focused on and you come together and you just go, you know what? Even if it's really hard, you just go, that, that was... That was just awesome. That was fantastic. Because there's no friction, there's no tension, there's no nothing. You just focus together on what you're supposed to be doing and you get it done. And it's a joy to be part of that. That's the church. That's what the church should be about. And that's how we witness, Jesus said. And lastly, he said, because it's essential for intimacy with God. Verse 25 and 26, he says this. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If you have disunity, if you have division, You limit the love of Christ within you. 
That's what Jesus says, isn't it? He's saying, I want to be in them as you're in me. The love that Jesus, that the Father had for Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to pour that into people. But if there is disunity, which is what this passage is about, he says you've got to be united. Unity is the soil in which that love can flow. Any of you fallen out with someone and it's gone deep? Is there any unforgiveness in your life? You limit the presence of God within you. What did Jesus pray? What do we pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus said, you know what? The forgiveness that you're going to receive is related to the forgiveness that you're willing to give. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you will limit the love of God that you experience. Christ said, I, I want to be in them. What did Jesus pray on the cross? Father, forgive them. You see, forgiveness is a choice, right? We've talked about this before. Reconciliation is something different. You can't always be reconciled to someone else because that takes two people to be willing to be reconciled. Forgiveness is you taking it out of your heart and saying, I'm not going to carry this rubbish any longer. I don't need this. I don't want to carry this. That is a choice you can make. You can't always be reconciled to people. Sometimes they're a million miles away for starters, right? Sometimes they've died. Sometimes There's a whole load of reasons. Sometimes they don't want to be reconciled. But you can be forgiven and give forgiveness. And the forgiveness is what you, it's about you. It's about you saying, I don't want to carry this burden in my life anymore. I don't want to wake up thinking about it. I don't want to go to bed thinking about it. I don't want to carry it in my life. I want forgiveness. Father, forgive me, but help me to forgive others. So I don't carry it. Because it's like, it's like your heart is like, so big right and any bit of unforgiveness you have you're just filling it up with it's like a cup that you're filling up with rubbish and you can't let the good stuff in until you take the rubbish out right let it go let it go and, and that's easy to say and really hard to do you have to keep on doing it right it's a constant thing you wake up every morning you start thinking about it no I'm, I've forgiven them Father, I'm going to forgive them again and again and again. How many times? 70 times 70. In other words, just keep on going as long as it takes so that you can receive the love that Christ wants to pour into your life so that you can have the intimacy with God that he longs to, for you to have. You will limit your intimacy with God if you have unforgiveness. It's just the way it is. I wish it wasn't, but it's true. In my own life, the times where I've forgiven and let go, I move into a new level of intimacy with God. Because, because it frees you to do that. And then he'll show you something else you need to get out of your life. And then you move into new intimacy and something else, and you go deeper and deeper and deeper if you're willing to keep that journey going.
And the Spirit of God will reveal it to you. And you just keep dealing with it, keep letting it go. And there'll be intimacy. You see how vital unity is in our relationship with God? How do we do it? Well, be devoted to the things we talk about in Acts. Be devoted. What are those four things? And they devoted themselves to? To prayer. Fellowship. The word of God, the apostles' teaching, and to breaking a bread, which is worship. Four things. Devote yourself to those. Because if you're devoted to those things, if you're constantly in the word of God, constantly with God's people, with, in fellowship, supporting them, encouraging them, lifting them up, loving them, being a channel of God's grace into their lives, if you're constantly praying and, and communicating with the Heavenly Father, if you're constantly worshiping, you'll have unity. It'll just be a byproduct, right? You don't have to worry about it. Unity will be there. We'll all be different, but we'll be together as one. But let's go a little bit deeper. How do we maintain that kind of unity? Because unity is not easy, is it? If it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have prayed for it. He would have prayed for someone else. How do we maintain it? Really briefly. Firstly, Ephesians 4. Cracking passage. Let me read it to you. Galatians, Ephesians. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Just as there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amazing, deep passage. What's he saying? He's saying, well, first of all, get rid of pride, right? Pride is a killer for unity, isn't it? That's generally where unity starts breaking down, right? I ain't going to give. You know? What happens when, when you have an argument with someone? I argue with Enika. What happens? Never happens, but you know. Just, just let's go with this. What happens? Well, you stop talking to one another, and then what happens in your head? Well, it was a stupid fault, wasn't it? It's always me. She thinks it's always me, but it's, I, know, I know I'm right. I'm the man of God anyway. Right? You start rationalizing it. And then you go, Tim, you know what? You won't believe what Enika did the other day. And then I get other people on my side. Why? Because pride just keeps building me up. And what does Enika do? She goes, Debbie, that stupid man. He never learns, he never listens. Right? And so she'll start getting her side, pride. And what happens? You get two mountains of pride side by side. And the higher you build them, the more division you will cause. And sometimes pride gets so high that you don't even remember what the argument was about. But you're not going to give in because you daren't give in. And marriages fail 
and relationships are ripped apart for all eternity and in fact for generations after generations it can be because of pride. And we need to deal with pride when it first happens and say, you know what, the relationship's more important than who's right or wrong. What does it matter if I'm right or I'm wrong? Let's fix this. Father, forgive us. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Get pride out of the way. Bear with each other. Listen to one another. Focus on Christ. Second one, focus on what's important. The gospel. Focus on what we're here to do. Make disciples. Is your argument, is your division worth more than your ability to make disciples? Is your division worth more than intimacy with God? Is you holding on to whatever it is that has irritated you worth more than these important things in life? When you put it in those perspectives, so often the answer is no. It's not. Let me just get rid of this rubbish. Let me sort it out. Let me forgive and move on. Because it's not worth it. And lastly... Romans 14, 1 and 15, it talks all about the weaker and the stronger brother. Don't quarrel over opinions. It's great that we have different opinions. We all have different experiences. If I was to ask you your opinion on Brexit, I'm not going to. But if I was to ask you, you know, are you going to vote? Which, who are you going to vote for? Who knows anyway? But anyway, we'd have a whole load of different opinions, right? Nobody can agree on anything. But don't argue over it. Don't get division over it. Just say, you know what? You have your opinion. I'm going to have my opinion. That's fine. Let's just keep unity together. The problem is with things like Brexit is it's ripping people apart. It's ripping this nation apart. Because there's no humility. And there's no gentleness. And there's no bearing with one another. And there's no patience. There's just pride and anger and division. Don't quarrel over the trivialities. Focus on the important things. Romans, it talks about the weak and the strong. You know who the strong are? Those that are more liberal, basically. It says, like, don't, 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 don't pour your opinions into others. Don't judge other people because they might be a bit more sensitive about something. In other words, if, if, if you don't mind having a drink of alcohol, but there's someone else that doesn't want to drink, don't criticize them for that. Just love them anyway. If, if you don't mind putting your hands up in, in worship, and, but other people want to keep their hands down, don't don't. Don't look at them and go like, they must be a lesser Christian than you because they haven't got their hands in the air. If you want to worship with the curtains open or the curtains closed, what does it matter? If you want to dance around or if you want to just stand still, what does it matter? As long as the Heavenly Father is pleased. And he's saying, don't, don't force your opinions 
onto others. How many churches have split over ridiculous things? Because they quarrel over opinions rather than the word of God. Unity. Read this out together. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The role of the Holy Spirit is to keep unity. 1 Corinthians 12, with the body parts, the Spirit apportions the different gifts, right? Now, what does that verse start by saying? Three words. Make every effort. Unity is not a passive thing. You don't just sit there and you go, hey, well, look around. These guys look pretty nice to me. I haven't really fallen out with any of them, so therefore, I'm cool. What happens when you make every effort? It would be like me taking you guys on a run up Harrow Hill. If I was to, I almost felt like doing it actually, to kick, kick us all out of the church and go, let's run up to St. Mary's. What would happen? You'd collapse. And there's me behind you going, when, when Mike wants to stop, going, get a move on, Mike. Come on, keep going, keep going. You can do this. And we're all there puffing and panting, crawling up to the top of the hill, right? That's making every effort, isn't it? That's doing something that goes beyond what is comfortable, beyond what you find nice, beyond what is, right? Making every effort is to dig deep within you and to keep on going, regardless. Even when your brain tells you, this is ridiculous, stop. Take the bus, right? You keep on going. That's what it says should be our vision for unity. Making the effort. So where we see disunity, we go straight in there and we go, hey, this has got to stop, right? This is not right. This is not kingdom stuff. Where I start to feel some ang angst against someone else because they're just really irritating. Hey, I've got to stop this, God. This is not right. I need to make the effort. Lord, clean my heart. Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Where I see it in a relationship, I do everything I can do to make sure that it doesn't grow and doesn't, that pride doesn't kick in. That's what it means to make every effort, and that is what it means for us to be the people that God wants us to be. How many of you know people where there's disunity? I would imagine all of us. Where there's relationships that are broken down, where there's we have to go in there and we have to just pray and say, Lord, what can I do? How can I support? How can I be blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. We need to be proactive in making sure unity is what we're about because that is what Jesus prayed for. Out of all the things he could have prayed for, he said unity is critical. Why do you think the enemy of God seeks to destroy us by causing division. Because as soon as our unity is gone, what also is gone? Our intimacy with God, our fellowship with one another, our witness to the community around us, everything is destroyed. As soon as you allow disunity to come in,
make every effort. Today, I want us just to spend a few moments praying before we close. And thinking, Phil, can you, and Debbie, can you uh, go do what you do best? Thank you. I want you just to think for a moment. Close your eyes. What is God saying to you today about unity? Some people we find it easy to get on with and some people we don't. That's just nature. But God said we should be united with everybody. We need to love everybody as Christ loves them. We need to be patient and humble. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there is any division in our lives, if there is any unresolved resentment, any unforgiveness, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, let me let it go today. Do not be weary. Do not carry those heavy burdens anymore. Bring them to the foot of the cross and he will give you rest. Lord, I might not be able to be reconciled with this person, but I can forgive them. Even if they've hurt me and wounded me, I don't want to carry it any longer. Help me to let it go. I want to be free. And then, Lord, fill that void within me with your love and your peace and your joy and your presence. to be a peacemaker someone who brings unity everywhere I go and Lord as I pray for myself so I pray for your church here in Trinity keep us united us to be who we are with our different thoughts and opinions and to speak those out but always to have a heart that is united together in our love of you and in the mission that you've called us to be may we be devoted to one another to your word to worship and to prayer and show the world around us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. For we ask this in Christ's name.